I think companies focus on representation because that's what they're measuring. That's the perception of what good looks like. And it's the perception of what good looks like because we believe that's the problem we're trying to solve for. And for me, that's not the problem we're trying to solve for. That is an outcome of workplaces that value difference. And so I'm going to walk through a few key points on why targets don't actually work. So for me, a lot of you will have heard me say this before, you know, it's the scoreboard approach. So it's really looking at a snapshot in time of the representation of your workplace, but does nothing to tackle the lived experience. And the reason that matters is you can have all the diversity you want in the world, but it does nothing to guarantee that people are going to be included. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the workplace and beyond. I really just want to take a minute to apologize to everybody. We have been off and on a couple of weeks. And the reason for this is I have actually been really sick. So we are now back. We will hopefully be here every week. We try to publish on a Wednesday. And I just want to thank all of you for your commitment and your support as our incredible listeners. So on with today's episode. It's all about targets. We know diversity is really good for business. We know that companies with greater gender diversity in their leadership outperform their less diverse competitors, have high returns on capital, accredited with better employee engagement and retention. We know these types of organizations have more engaged customers, and they're actually more relevant to a broader customer base. They're more innovative, they're more agile, they're better at problem solving, they're better at collaboration, and the list goes on and on and on. And research now finds the same is true for companies that are more ethnically and racially diverse. The challenge is almost no companies are actually reflective, truly reflective of the communities that they serve, right? And this is particularly true if we think about the United States where companies are spending about $7 billion a year in DEI efforts and have had targets for many, many years, but yet we're still struggling to reflect the communities that we operate in. And for me, part of the problem behind that is this fixation on diversity numbers, which really seems to dominate a lot of DEI strategies, dominate a lot of DEI efforts. And while numbers are incredibly important, You know, they give you that snapshot of where your organization's at from a representation standpoint. This focus on numbers alone really creates a very dangerous perspective on what we are trying to solve for, what the problem is. By only targeting diversity in numbers, organizations really fail to deal with some of the underlying causes. So we perceive that the reason we have so few diverse candidates is because we're no good at hiring, we're no good at attracting people from underrepresented groups. And for me, that's at the level of what? We're actually missing why that happens. So why is it that we can't seem to attract, develop, retain, and promote people from typically underrepresented groups? And Most of you will know that I'm pretty anti-diversity targets, but I wanted to make sure that I was being and holding space for different viewpoints. So today, to really try and address this issue and try and understand why we have diversity targets and if they actually solve the problem that inequality creates in workplaces, 
what we thought we'd do is we'd have Kelly really present an argument for why it is that businesses need to have diversity targets. So she's going to present the pro argument. And even though I believe they don't work, what I thought we would do is I will share based on the research I have, why it is that I think companies need to be very careful when it comes to diversity targets. But to make sure we're all on the same page, I think to start this episode, what we're going to do is have Kelly share her perspective on what the difference is between targets and quotas. It's really important that we understand this distinction between quotas and targets because they often get used interchangeably, those words, but it's quite an important difference. Quotas, when we talk about quotas, we're talking about really a situation where in a particular country or in a particular sector or in a particular organization, there's a requirement to have a certain number or a certain percentage of people from a particular demographic group, either at all in the organization or at a particular level of seniority or on the board. So you might say, for example, all companies in this sector have to have 25% people from the disability community in their organization. That would be a quota. And people rail against quotas kind of understandably because on the face of it, what you're effectively asking for is positive discrimination, is requiring organizations to pick somebody because of their particular minority characteristic or particular area of difference. Targets are a subtly but quite importantly different uh, kettle of fish. And it might, on the face of it, look quite similar to a quota. You might be saying, as a business, we are aiming to get to X percentage of people. But there's no punishment for not doing so at a legal level, financially, etc., there's no sort of requirement to do it. It's, it's all down to the individual organization to decide that that's what they're going to set themselves or to that particular sector to decide it. And I think with targets, the thing about it is they sort of act like a litmus test when they're used really well. They basically put diversity on the table as a sort of relevant factor that should be taken into account, whether it's in recruitment, in promotion and so on. So it's different to a quarters conversation where it might be like, oh, my goodness we need to find our woman, where targets conversation might be right. We are recruiting for this job. We need to be mindful of the fact that we are looking to have a more diverse board or whatever the level is. And we need to take that into account. So it's quite a subtle difference in some circumstances. So oftentimes, all that people hear in an organization is we are aiming for 30% women on the board. And they don't hear anything around that or beyond that all of the other behavioural changes that need to happen to make the culture inclusive, to make the one that's conducive to attracting women, to keeping women, et cetera. They just hear that target and then it becomes an end in itself. So I agree with you, there's that danger there. And I think the other reason or one of the other reasons why that often happens is that we all want a quick fix. We all want to see progress. And I don't even mean this in a critical way. I know you and I, Michelle, get, but I certainly get impatient about how slow some progress is in some of the areas of, of DNI. And there's something about having a number that's easy to measure that you can track against. And people get fixated on it because it's something simple and obvious to, to kind of measure and to measure progress. So I think it's just that natural human instinct, if we look at it really positively, to kind of latch onto the thing that you can understand. Whereas the broader behavioral change that we talk a lot about in this podcast and, and both do a lot of work in around an inclusive culture, it is regarded as harder to measure, harder to see the progress and people get frustrated with that.
One of the major issues that I have with targets is that they often feel pretty tokenistic and a little bit lazy. Most importantly though, they actually don't create sustainable change. So a good example of this is that research finds once organizations appoint one woman to a senior leadership role, the chances of them appointing a second woman leader in a high profile position reduces by about 50%. And this is because workplaces have an implicit quota for hiring people from underrepresented groups. Having one female leader in place is evidence that your organization has really done everything it needs to do around gender. So ironically, when organizations appoint one woman leader, they're much less likely to appoint any more. And target-based diversity hires really start to give women who are in those positions a token status. So tokenism is really this idea that we're only hiring women to fulfill a quota. We're only hiring people from typically underrepresented groups to fulfill a quota, not because they're the most capable or competent person. And this is important because it reduces the individual's legitimacy. It reduces their authority. It reduces the belief that they're actually hired because they're capable. And it means that often women are devalued when they're in those leadership roles because people simply don't believe that they're as competent, so they undermine them, which makes it a lot harder for women to be successful. And it also translates into those women being held up as the company's sort of mascot for the marginalized. And these women leaders are generally encouraged to take on the sort of trophy status by speaking at events and leading external communications or the company's diversity efforts. And when companies show off token women leaders in this way to try and really show how they're taking action for DEI, it's kind of gaslighting everybody because while you might have one woman in that leadership position or three or four or 10, the challenge isn't how many women you have, it's what is the lived experience of the woman in those leadership positions? Are they valued? Do they feel they can be themselves? Do they feel they can contribute? Do they have to hide aspects of who they are? Do they have to censor themselves? Is their performance valued? and rewarded in the same way as men's. Senior women leaders are aware of the barriers to women's advancement. It's not their responsibility to lead the charge on DEI efforts. So while senior women leaders are aware of the barriers to their advancement, it's not their responsibility to have to clear the path and to tackle all the inequality that exists. You know, women might take on a senior leadership role, but it's not their job to solve the inequality that they've had no hand in creating. So for me, the real problem we're actually trying to solve for is why don't we value women and all areas of difference in the same way that we value white, middle-class, heterosexual, able-bodied males? And one of the challenges we've got is that, you know, valuing difference is often seen as simply cut copying, pasting people, right? Diversity targets are wildly popular because people believe, well, that's a really good way to demonstrate we value difference. In fact, it's actually estimated that around half of all companies have them. And so what I want to do is to have Kelly present the other case. And remember, she's a lawyer, everybody. So, you know, she's going to be really good at this, but present a case for diversity targets. So Kelly, over to you. There are some positives. So if you're an organization where you want to use a target, you're beholden to it, building it with these positives in mind, hopefully can kind of avoid some of the negatives that we'll come on to and some of the risks. I think the first thing for me is like, what's the point of having a target in the first place? It's really aimed at diversity, isn't it? It doesn't, on the face of it, deal with inclusion or belonging or kind of broader cultural aspects of, of your organization. It deals with bums on seats and diversity. And I think that is still a critical issue in lots of sectors, in lots of countries, in lots of companies. It's not the whole pie. It's not the whole game. But 
it's one part of it and used well, it can help to make some differences there. And ideally, obviously, we wouldn't ever need targets. Businesses would become diverse, remain diverse naturally, but that doesn't happen. And so we need proactive interventions. And you always say, Michelle, and I know I'm moving on to inclusion rather than diversity here, but that it's a practice. Inclusion's a practice, it's a verb. And so part of that is having interventions that help to focus minds and create some of the behavioral change in the background. And I think targets can be used in that way if they're used well. The other thing I would say is that, and this is about whether a target is used as a means to an end or whether it's used as one way of achieving a broader goal. And I'm obviously in that second camp because I think in any business, if you've got a target of any description in this space, to kind of meet that target sustainably, not just sort of for a short period of time, you have to make cultural change around recruitment, around promotion, around what good looks like in your business. So it's, yeah, on the face of it, target is a pretty simplistic, blunt instrument that speaks to one narrow aspect of DEI. But you can use it as a catalyst for more substantive change. And that's where I've seen it used to good effect. The other thing about targets is they can be flexible. So they're often, exactly as we've discussed, and how this is how they become quotas in people's minds, Michelle, but they're often X percent of women on the board, X percent of people from an ethnic minority in this level of the business, etc. But they don't have to be. They can be, if they're used well, aimed at what your specific concerns or challenges are in your business. So it could be we've identified that we can't retain people in this particular group. So we're going to have a target of increasing our retention periods to X years or increasing the number of our people who return from maternity leave and other family leave to the business or reducing the period to promotion for our superstar women, for example. So that kind of target is less blunt instrument, bums on seats, let's just get people in the room because they happen to be in this group and a bit more holistic about sort of, okay, what do we have to change to keep those people, to get those people to come back, etc. So it's kind of bridging that gap between diversity and inclusion a little bit. The reality is that like measuring stuff is obviously key to driving engagement and keeping up momentum. The good and the bad. So actually with the target, sometimes you, you measure it a year later and progress has gone backwards or progress hasn't gone in the right direction. But that gives you some really helpful information if as an organization you're willing to embrace it and learn from it. And I think businesses are so used to the idea of setting a goal, setting a target, whether it's a financial goal, a budgetary one, whether it's like a pipeline for new work, etc. So there's something familiar about the language of having something like a target in this space in terms of mainstreaming DEI as a kind of core business priority beyond the sort of people who are already bought into this, if you see what I mean. So it can be quite useful for getting it on the agenda of people who might not otherwise be concentrating on it so much. And I think I have two more points. (laughs) My penultimate point, Michelle, is that you know, all businesses are like understandably obsessed with their performance amongst their peers, aren't they? And, you know, not least because they're all fishing in the same pool for talent and we know there's a war for talent on. They don't give the whole picture targets clearly, but they do give a picture of something which is easy to compare on a like-for-like basis. So it's just like a metric that lends itself to comparison. So I can see the attractiveness of them if you're wanting to differentiate yourself from your peers in a crowded market. And and kind of following on from that, potential recruits in all sectors are increasingly interested. And loads of the research that we've talked about with various guests speaks to this for millennials and and, and so on. Increasingly interested in this stuff and taking it into account in their job choices. But it's really difficult to get a measure of the culture of an organisation in a holistic way 
from the outside. And every single business, just about, if you look on their website, if you go to a an open day or an interview, they're going to tell you that their culture is brilliant, maybe sell it as a differentiator. But that can't be the case for all of them. But it's really hard as a, you know, if you're coming to, to the organization called to know whether that's right or not. So there is something as a potential recruit about the existence of a target or not, progress against the target or not, narrative around what, what measures are being put in place to meet that target that can give you something tangible to consider, albeit it's not shorthand for the culture of a business. So now you've heard the case for why we need targets, but I want to share a counter view, which is less popular, by the way, but no means less important. So I have to deal with a lot of staunch advocates for gender, targets for diversity, and I never really used to have a strong opinion. I never used to have an opinion. I have a very strong opinion now, which is only informed by research. And so I'm going to try and make my points as concise as possible. So I do want to recognize that representation matters, diversity matters, right? Greater diversity is highly correlated with better business outcomes in terms of financial returns, employee engagement, retention, even engaged customers, innovation, problem solving. We know that from a gender perspective, from a racial ethnic minority perspective, there is a very strong case for why we need it. And I think companies focus on representation because to Kelly's point, that's what they're measuring. That's the perception of what good looks like. And it's the perception of what good looks like because we believe that's the problem we're trying to solve for. And for me, that's not the problem we're trying to solve for. That is an outcome of workplaces that value difference. And so I'm going to walk through a few key points on why targets don't actually work. So for me, a lot of you will have heard me say this before, you know, it's the scoreboard approach. So it's really looking at a snapshot in time of the representation of your workplace, but does nothing to tackle the lived experience. And the reason that matters is you can have all the diversity you want in the world, but it does nothing to guarantee that people are going to be included. And so you have diversity because it ultimately is good for business, right? If we're honest, it is. And to represent the communities that you serve, to represent the customers that you serve, makes for a much more effective business. And the reality is businesses need that diversity. But the problem is we're getting more diverse but less inclusive because we don't know how to harness the value of the diversity we're bringing in. So the fixation on numbers is actually one of the reasons why we're not being more inclusive. And so let me explain that in a little bit more detail. So what we see is that focusing on the symptoms and ignoring the underlying cause is really what we're doing when we focus on targets. While numbers are really important, they just give you a snapshot. They're not actually telling you what are the reasons why we're struggling to attract, retain, develop, promote people from different backgrounds. And having targets, companies can then look at it and say, well, we've made huge progress on DI. I know so many companies, I'm not going to name any, but there are so many organizations that have come out and shown the numerical gains they've made simply from hiring people from underrepresented groups. But I know having worked with those businesses that you know the lived experience of Black employees is horrendous. The lived experience of women is horrendous. So my biggest challenge from a target perspective, I'd say my first key point is not only does it not address the problem, but it's fundamentally quite racist and sexist because it tends to be quite hierarchical and it tends to be not intersectional. 
And so I'll give you a quick example. You know, so you'll see with targets, a lot of companies start with gender, but you know, you've heard me probably say this before. But what they don't do is then look at all aspects of women, right? Women are not sort of a uniform group. We're, we're individuals. And I think the challenge with targets is when you say we need to increase the representation of women, that often means white women, or we need to increase the representation of people from different age groups or different physical or mental abilities. No one person is one thing. And what a lot of companies do with this is they'll tick the box for women. And then if that woman happens to have a disability, tick the box in disability and suddenly you're doubling your numbers and the whole thing becomes really messy. And so for me, I really struggle with just how you measure demographic difference and demographic representation from an intersectional lens. And when you're setting those targets, how are you setting them from an intersectional lens? It's almost impossible. And so what I would much prefer companies do is say, look, we need to represent the communities that we serve. We need to reflect our customer base and the makeup of our leadership teams, because that's how we're going to do a better job of meeting their needs. And that's how we're going to get greater shareholder returns. And we need to make sure that we are valuing that diversity when we bring it in. So for me, it's really challenging also from the angle that it sets a cap, right? There's a natural cap. So for me, a lot of the targets are pretty arbitrary. So you'll get 20%, you'll get 10%, you'll get 30%, but who's to say that that target makes sense? And I think the challenge is putting caps on people from underrepresented groups can be quite an offensive thing. And so I'd much rather businesses say, look, let's try and reflect the country we're operating or the customers we're serving. And look at data that really reflects that, having some rationale for why you've got to the target you've got to. Most companies don't do that. They just set arbitrary targets like 20% women. Well, why is it 20%? Why is it not 50%? You know, it's really, really difficult. And I think for me, another reason targets don't work is probably one of the key reasons is businesses believe it's the only way to affect change. So a good example of this is I've had a partner in a large professional services firm, a woman say to me, Michelle, you know, we're never going to get there. We're just never going to get there unless we put targets in place because our leaders just don't believe in any of this stuff. I was like, well, that's it, isn't it? That's the problem we've got to solve for because why are we bringing women into an organization where they're going to be devalued every day? Research finds, like if we look in Finland, that actually dictating the percentage of women in parliament, so I think they put a quota in place in 2007, that really led to a long-term increase in the number of women. I think it went up from sort of 41% to 44% in, in 2014. And people really like that, seeing members of parliament really increase from a gender perspective. Politics is not the same business. So, you know, once you elect a female politician into a role or due to a quota, have her in that position, She's there, right? She's she's not likely to be dismissed or, you know, in terms of her gender. And that's not the same in workplaces. The workplace is fine in when you have a quota, when you have a target. Women leaders are 50% more likely to be dismissed irrespective of their performance. And so what we're recognizing is it's not apples and apples. Yes, from a leadership perspective in politics, seeing women in leadership positions matters. It challenges stereotypes. It's a long period of time, four years that you can serve in, in parliament and really start to change and shape people's perceptions of what good looks like. The same is not true in business. Being devalued every day is going to potentially cost you your job. So for me, I think what we have to recognize is there are a huge amount of unintended consequences from targets. So a big one is tokenism. So really saying, you know, women in those 
positions, and this is true for politics as well, as token placements, right? And it also reinforces the perception that women have to have the quota, have to have the target. And I'm just using women here because a lot of the research happens to be from a gender perspective, are there because they're not really capable and they couldn't get there on their own. And so women's confidence drops off. They believe they're less effective. Men become really disengaged, disgruntled, and it creates huge amounts of, of issues. And I think the point behind targets, why they don't really work, is because they were actually only ever meant to be temporary. The targets really evolved from quotas. And I think quotas, if you look at the history of them, they're meant to be for a short period of time, right, to try and drive change. So you put them in place, you try and increase numbers, and, and as a result, you see a difference, and then you can remove the quota. And I think the problem is that's not how we treat them now, right? There is no short-term burst of trying to increase representation. And I would argue short-term bursts like that are incredibly damaging. You're actually wanting leaders to understand why they need to value difference. And yes, that is a much harder and much longer aim to build cultures that value difference, to build leaders that value difference, to create employees that value difference. But that's the problem we're trying to solve for. And so for me, the misuse of quotas and targets is actually why we're in the position we're in, where even if your business doesn't have a quota or target, simply talking about maybe having one or measuring representation, research finds might lead to what we call implicit quotas, where people start saying, well, this position is just for women, so only women can apply for it. And then men get really upset because they believe the organization is promoting women who aren't capable, and the whole thing creates huge challenges. So these are the two arguments based on the data, based on the research, based on our expertise. But if targets are a big part of DEI efforts, I guess the important question isn't whether or not we have them. It's more, how can we make sure they work in the most effective way? How can we limit some of the negative impacts that targets have? For me, it's about having a balanced scorecard, not only looking at representation as, you know, the solution or the problem we're trying to solve for, making sure we're also looking at what is the lived experience. And, you know, there are many ways to apply targets. For example, you could have targets based on how many diverse candidates you're interviewing, how many people from typical underrepresented groups you want at different stages of the recruitment process and individuals who importantly meet the criteria, have the capabilities and skills. And, you know, that's something that companies call the Rooney rule, where, you know, you make sure you have at least one ethnic minority candidate or one female candidate who meet the role criteria to be invited for an interview for every vacancy. So there are different ways we can apply targets. But what I thought I would do is get Kelly's perspective on how companies can really try to make targets work. What is it that they can do? There's also this regulatory piece of the jigsaw because some regulators will require or advise their companies in their sector to hit particular targets. So even if you're one of the companies that is railing against the concept of targets at all, if you find yourself in a sector where your regulator or the bodies that that you kind of report into are requiring or expecting that, you may have to engage with them. So you might as well engage with it in a way that actually makes the best possible difference it can. This first point I wanted to make is less relevant where you're dealing with a regulator set target that you have no control over what the target is. But in other situations, if you're a business and you're and you're going to use one, I would say start with trying to diagnose the problems that you're fixing for. And to Michelle's point, they will be predominantly, if not entirely, cultural, inclusion-based, and not about bums on seats. So if you're going to have some targets and you need them from a metrics and measurement point of view, 
don't have them be necessarily as simple as X number of people have it much more broadly. And I mentioned some of them earlier around retention rates or promotion periods. You know, if you've identified in your organization that you have a problem with grievances related to sex discrimination, for example, have a, have a target for health and safety thing. We'll have zero of these grievances by X month's time and, that, and it will remain that way. I think that then puts you on the right track to thinking about behavioral change. And that's that's my second point, that any target is the very best, less meaningful if you're not backing it up with systemic changes that speak to the inclusion and equity piece that will, as Michelle was describing, create diversity as an output rather than an end in itself. So if you're saying we want 50% ethnic minority women on our board, then you ain't going to do that in any sustainable way if you don't have a plan that identifies and addresses the barriers to that, that speaks to the behavioural change and that you then are flowing out into all of the different bits of the business with accountability. It's like a pincer movement. Just saying we want this is not enough to get there other than by accident. And then that's not sustainable. And I think part of it is if, you, if you've got a target, it's got to be communicated really carefully and really clearly. People have to understand it is one measure to assist you on your way to a bigger game. It's not the full game. It's not the end game. It's not a one and done scenario and off we go. It's a bit like appraisal goals. You know, most of us have at certain points in our career had to set appraisal goals for any particular year. But just because you meet them that year, it doesn't mean you go, right, I'm done. That's me. I never have to set any goals ever again. It's an ongoing practice of refining and looking and improving. To your point, Michelle, they should only be short term, not as a flash in the pan, let's do something and then we're done. Short term in the sense of it needs to be regularly reviewed. And if it's not being met, why? What are the behavioural changes that aren't happening that mean that the business isn't becoming more inclusive and therefore diversity isn't being met in the way that you're aiming at? Be really clear as well who holds accountability and how. Because it's all very well saying we have a target, we haven't met it, why? But does everyone in the business understand what their role is? in their sphere of influence to make the changes that will help meet that target. It can't rest with one person or one team. It's got to be part and parcel of the broader culture of the organisation. I really want to thank you all for tuning in today. Targets are actually a major issue for all of us because if women feel like token hires and aren't valued, then this limits their effectiveness. And if men feel left out of DEI efforts that somehow perceive this to be a win-lose game, then this is really going to damage their engagement and allyship. And if individuals don't feel represented in their organization, regardless of their gender identity, then what are we doing when it comes to targets, when it comes to representation? So understanding targets is actually a critical issue for every single person. And hopefully today you've got a better understanding of some of the pros and cons. And you can share this with people in your workplace so that all of us can better manage some of the costs associated with targets. A quick one before you go, if you love our podcast and you'd like to hear more, then I need you to please hit subscribe now and also leave a review. We really value this support. If you're interested in partnering with us or maybe being a guest on the show, then you can reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org, and you can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and I'll catch you all again next week.